0: Before we get into God's Word, and before we... Uh, well, actually, let, yeah, we'll let the kids go now before we have some prayer over a few things. So may God bless you guys and give you a wonderful time together in God's presence with each other. Amen. Hey, a few things to say, a few ways to pray before we get into God's Word. First of all, thanks so much for a dozen or so of you who were here yesterday for a workday led by Mark Mel, Lot was done. If you look around, you see a lot of good spring cleaning. Yeah, I appreciate you leading the way on that, uh, Mark. And uh, there's always projects that folks can work on, so you can uh, check on that if if you'd like to contribute at all. And uh, by the way, if you happen to see Doris Kelly anytime soon, today is her birthday. We celebrated that at the first service. And then uh, two ways that uh, I'd like to invite us to pray. Uh, one is for our pastoral search committee. Uh, this team uh, has been um, working overtime. I think they put in about 80 hours last week or something like that, right, Mark? Or close to it or just a lot as they are really serving us by, by reaching out to, to see what person God might send to be the uh, long-term pastor to shepherd us here. And uh, so I want to pray for them, but then also want to move into a prayer uh, for those who are grieving deeply over the tragedy that happened Boulder on Monday. And we want to pray for uh, those families and, and, of course, for authorities that are uh, doing the hard thing of seeking the truth and seeking some justice in this situation, and, and, and pray for the killer himself, that there would somehow be a redemptive work of Christ in his troubled mind and heart. Uh, so let's go to prayer together. And uh, let's lift up right now the pastoral uh, search team led by Taylor and Jared and Debbie and Mark and Tom and Jennifer. Lord, we thank you for these brothers and sisters. We thank you for their commitment to um, putting in a lot of hours and, and to uh, help us find who might be alongside us as a servant leader shepherd in the days and years ahead. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, as they meet, as they deliberate, that they have a filling with your spirit to have discernment from you. We pray that there'd be both honesty and unity together. We pray, Lord, that um, you give them perseverance. It's a lot of work. And, and we do ask that you also uh, draw close and bless uh, those pastors who are in dialogue Whether or not they come here, we ask that you would lead them in their lives to where they can best serve you. And we, of course, pray that in your time, you would lead one to be with us here. Uh, Give us patience, but we also ask that uh, soon we can welcome a new pastor. Uh, Lord, and then we, we think of what happened last Monday and our hearts are broken. And we do lift up, especially those families and close friends of the 10 people uh, who were murdered uh, so suddenly and tragically. Uh, Lord, we lift up Officer Talley and his family. We lift up the families of, of Ricky, Kevin, Lynn, Denny, Terry, Trelona, Jody, Nevin, and Suzanne, perhaps strangers to us, but not to you. Oh, please draw close with your comfort for those families, and may this be a time when, when others point them to you if they don't already know you. And we do pray that there would be the manifestation of whatever truth and justice is needed here, and we we do ask that, uh, Lord, you'd be, draw close to the, the family of this young man. Whatever his motives were, we, we, we ask that you'd be at work to, to comfort the family and to uh, speak into his troubled mind. And uh, he'll undoubtedly, Lord, pay the consequences of this murderous act, but we also ask that in that you would make yourself known to him. And now Lord as we go to your word just want to echo Paul in 2 Corinthians what we what we declare what we what we think about what we respond to is not ourselves but Jesus as Lord and for our part we're servants for Jesus sake. And we open ourselves to the very light that created the world that redeems us. And we thank you, Lord, that we have this, as Paul says, treasure. And, and Lord, at least in this guy right here, me, it's in a jar of clay. But the treasure is in the jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power belongs not to us, but to you. And I ask now that as we look into your word, there'd, there'd be the power, and the truth of your spirit coming to each of us where we most need it from you. And if it comes to me, or in spite of me, would you speak? And These things we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. John chapter 12. Would you find that in a Bible? Nathan read uh, just a little bit from that at the very beginning of our gathering, but uh, we'll look at it again. Uh, And, and of course, it's the famous passage on this Palm Sunday of a big crowd that's all excited. They're all hyped up. They're expecting about the future. And uh, when I think about crowds like that, I often think of one that I was in along with my family on this date, October 1st, 2007. Anybody know what was happening in Denver that particular night, October 1st, 2007? Any guesses? The Rockies. Rocktober. We were at the game where... In the 13th inning, the Rockies won the tiebreaker with San Diego Padres to, you know, having tied during the regular season. They, they won the game, went into the playoffs, won all their games initially. World Series, so exciting. Well, they didn't do too well there. But nevertheless, they got into the World Series, and we are part of that crowd. And, you know, baseball, I don't know if you how much you like baseball, how much you go to, like, games at, at Coors Field, but... Um, one reason my wife likes to go, Darlene here, is that uh, 95% of the time it's pretty calm and relaxing, and, and, and as she says, you can actually talk to people. Now, that's not why I go to games, but that's fine. If that's what she wants to do to have conversation, that's great. Uh, that game, That game, especially the last three or four innings, it wasn't quiet at all. And uh, in fact, for about three innings, no one even sat down. This is a baseball game, for goodness sake. Everybody was standing and, and went in the 13th inning, and went back and forth, they'd go ahead, Rockies would tie uh, in, the, in, the, in that 13th inning when Matt Holliday screamed across home plate, barely touched it, i tell you, everybody went nuts, just nuts. And you know how it is in a crowd like that when your team's won? Um, it's like walking out to the parking lot Everybody was everybody's best friend. We were high-fiving, you know, I mean, we just loved everybody, right? In a very superficial way. But there was all, everybody was all smiles. Everybody was, uh, was cheering, World Series, here we come. Uh, well, it was, it was pretty exciting. And it was that kind of excitement that was going on in Jerusalem about five days before the high holy day of Passover Uh, for the Jews. And this crowd was as excited about the future as could be. So let's look at the account in, in John 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the king, the king of Israel. And then it goes on, verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, these are the religious, some of the primary religious leaders, they said to one another, see, This is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Then verse uh, 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, one of the disciples who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. And, And probably Philip knew Greek being from that part of Galilee. They came with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Uh, Now, before we look at how Jesus' responds to this request for some foreigners, these outsiders, to see him, have a conversation with him, I want to ask this question. How many of you, in whatever way today, would like to see Jesus? (laughs) Would that be great? Man, kick me out, let him be up here, right? Well, he is with us, of course. One day we will see him. If we've come to trust him as Savior and Lord. Uh, But but just day by day through faith, what what are the ways that we want to see him at work? We want to, we just long for him to speak, to do this or that. And 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 so I I think most of us would probably say, Well, yeah, yeah, I I want to see Jesus and what he wants to do in my life even right now. But then I want to ask this question: if you want to see Jesus, is it Jesus as he actually is? Or Jesus, as you assume he is, which might be different from the way he actually is. Or the way you prefer him to be. Or the way you expect him to be. Is it possible there's a bit of a gap there? That can happen in any kind of relationship with anyone. A difference between what is and what you assume, what you expect, what you prefer. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, when Darlene and I got engaged, she was 20, I was 19. I know she looks like 20 years younger, but she's actually a year older than I. Uh, but I, I was 19, and when our daughter, our oldest daughter, Sarah, got engaged, she was 19 years old. And, um, you know, we, we were excited, but for goodness sake, it's my little girl. And this man is coming in, you know? I mean, any of you men been through this? It's... Not for the faint of heart, Dads. Um, And so she she and I had a heart-to-heart talk. And she said, Dad, how how do you feel about this? And I said, well, Sarah, sweetie, I, I really like Brian. What a great guy. But, sweetie, you're just 19. And she looked me in the eye and said, Dad, I'm the exact same age you were when you got engaged. And I defensively said, yeah, but that was different. <laughs> and I tell you how it was different. My daughter Sarah at 19 was much, much more mature than I was when I was 19. <laughs> so they had my blessing and they've been married, what, 24 years with four kids and it's great. And I've always told people, hey, if you have to have a son-in-law, get, get one like Brian. But anyway, we were engaged early on and we were engaged for 18 months before we got married. And most of that time, we were separated by about a 1,000 miles. Uh, she was going to school here in Colorado. I was going to school outside of Chicago. And um, you know how they say absence makes the heart grow fonder? A lot of truth to that. But here's, here's another truth. Absence can make the imagination get fuzzier. Absence can make the imagination get fuzzier. And for us, at least to some degree... The separations allowed a kind of idealization of each other, and uh, you know this is before, before uh, cell phones and and before email and Zoom call. That was just in science fiction, you know, and and so a phone call cost I don't know hundred dollars a minute. It felt like that anyway, and um, so when we came back together, holidays and so on it was good, but sometimes there was kind of a clash between that idealization and the reality of the other person, especially when I'd show up and she had really thought I was a great guy until the the real guy showed up, right? So (laughs) it it could mean not fights, but just almost kind of a letdown. And, And even during the 18 months for a while though we kept going together, Uh, Darlene took off the engagement ring so we could kind of work things through. I think all couples go through that, just facing reality. We just went through the worst of it before we got married. And we've been married, by the way, very thankful to God for this, 48 years, almost 49. And um, man, I'm blessed with this lady. But uh, see, any marriage, any close relationship can can have this kind of um, gap between reality and assumptions. Yeah, I've done 150 weddings or something like that, and um, most recently these two right over here. And the one thing I always want to do is some premarital counseling, especially for younger couples that may not be fully aware of what they're getting into. And um, here's one example. There was this uh, this this woman, the bride to be, and we're just talking about down-to-earth stuff, and she said, talking about household stuff," and I. She said, in my family, she said, my dad was always the one who took out the trash. And the guy said, well, in my family, it was my mom who always took out the crap, trash. Now, do you see where this is headed? Nobody's going to take out the trash in those traditions. They're, they're clashing. They had some things to work out. And that's, there's a, a clash between these different images, expectations. It happens with churches, it happens with God's family of Christ followers. Um, if you've been around a while, you know one of my favorite kind of like a spiritual hero is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German um, church leader, theologian who participated in the, in the resistance against Adolf Hitler in the 30s and 40s, was hanged at the age of 39 because of that. But in the 1930s, Bonhoeffer had formed an illegal school for pastors. And in that context, he didn't want it just to be an academic school, but to be a community of the body of Christ. And he wrote, I think, one of the most brilliant Christian books I've ever encountered called Life Together. Just a slim little book. I read it frequently to remind myself what it is that we practice the one another's. Well, here's a profound thing that Bonhoeffer says in this book. He says, Christian community is destroyed by visionary wish dreams where we inject ideal pictures of what fellowship should be versus participating in the realities of what God is actually given and what he is creating. Does that make sense? Christian community is destroyed by visionary wish dreams where we have these ideal pictures and we pursue that instead of this is what God has given. These are the people God has put together. Um, You may not like somebody all that much. You may think things should be better at this or that church, and you want to pursue God's best, but we have to live in the reality now of what God has given, people made in God's image whom he loves deeply but you see where we don't want to get stuck in our own assumptions, our own ideals, our own projections, our own preferences. But what is God given? What does he want? Well, this is what's happened. This this can happen with God. This can happen with Jesus. It's it's what was happening that first Palm Sunday. Uh, What what are people assuming about Jesus? What, What are they expecting? What are they preferring? Well, they have been under military oppression by the occupying Romans. And in addition to that, they're under degrees of oppression from the Jewish religious leaders who lay down law after law after law. They themselves may not practice it, but they impose this on the people. And so this man, he's raised somebody from the dead, among other things. And when he's coming back into town in Jerusalem, They can't get more excited. They say, finally, God is sending a new king, an Arab King David. The happy days are here again. Somebody's coming to deliver us from this oppression. In fact, you know the whole thing with the palm branches. You know why the palm branches? They were a nationalistic symbol of a deliverance of the Jews that took place 200 years prior when a guy named Judas Maccabeus overcame the Syrian tyrant antiochus and when he it was an amazing almost miraculous victory and when he came back into Jerusalem to, to uh, cleanse the defiled temple um, they will they they wave palms to welcome this liberator and to this day jews still celebrate that victory of judas Maccabeus and what we call hanukkah you know celebrated every december Well, something really big seems to be stirring in Jerusalem as Jesus comes in. Uh, He's got the oppressed crowds excited uh, about the help they may get. He's got the Jewish leaders stressed about the authority they may lose. He's got these visiting Greeks, kind of religious pilgrims that are kind of looking around for different forms of truth. He's got them really curious about this rabbi. You know, last week we spent time in 1 Corinthians 1, a really profound description of what the cross is about. And, and there the Apostle Paul generalizes about um, people of his day, how, how Jews tend to want power. They, they want to see things done. and Greeks seek wisdom. And that's a brilliant description because things haven't changed much as we look at, at, at us human beings. Most of us want some kind of power. We want some kind of control in our lives as we talked about last week. We all want some truth. We want some wisdom. We want some answers. We want some knowledge. And naturally, we we look for God. I mean, what kind of power can you give me? What kind of knowledge can you give me? Here's the problem. God's not there to be our servant. He's not a vendor. It's not like, here I am. What do you want? Well, I'd like a little dose of control in my life. Thank you very much. Here's some answers to a bunch of questions I have. And God says, sure enough, here you go. And, th- and then we take the answers or the power and run the other way. That, that's, that, that's not what God is. That's not why Jesus came. And this is why Jesus has some things to say to this request for people to see him. So go to uh, verse 23. We'll get back into the text here. Jesus replied, the hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now that sounds good. Now is the time for the Messiah to really get on the throne and take charge. But then it gets strange? Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And here's a hard saying, those who love their life will lose it. While those who hate their life, in a relative sense compared to him, who hate their life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. And then jump down to verse 31. I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. Jesus says, Now, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The Apostle John says that Jesus said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The kind of death he was going to die. Now, in a way, that's sort of simply anticipating what the Romans are about to do to him. Described this last week, but you know it. Stake his hands and feet to these wooden beams and then raise up this torture device called a cross. That this dying man would be a spectacle to those around. The the Romans crucified thousands and thousands of people. It was basically a way to say, a way to give a warning, you cross us and you'll land on a cross. Behave. That was about to happen to Jesus within five days. But even more, the kind of death Jesus was going to die, this is even more a description of why, of why Jesus was going to die, what he was going to do for the Jewish crowds, for the Greek seekers in the whole world. He's saying, I'm going to do something when I'm lifted up. I'm going to do something that's deeper and bigger than what you merely want or expect. I am not here, he's basically saying, to give you a few add-ons to your life, to give you a bit of help, to, to help you feel better, pay the bills, get a lot done, whatever. Here's what is about to happen. And, and so we, we look at uh, this powerful word from Jesus and he starts out by saying, now's the time for judgment on this world. If, if if, we want to be drawn to the real Jesus and, and to the full life that he wants to give, that, then we, we must see that there's a judgment that went on the cross. There's an exposure of the ultimate problems of this world, uh, basically in each of us sin, and, and then beyond that, the the, the, uh, the rebellion of the whole world against God. And there's The cross will be an exposure of that, basically a judgment, as the only truly just human being that ever lived is subject to the powers of religion and politics and put on this cross, but also subject to the very judgment of God on sin. And and then secondly, the cross is this and, and to be drawn to the real Jesus into his full life we have to see that now now in this cross the prince of this world will be driven out. There's a declaration of evil's defeat defeat, praise God, and in the meantime, slowly but surely a diffusing of, of the evil one's deceptions. We gotta see who the real enemy is, who the real opponent is, who the real adversary is, and the one who gets defeated. And and then at the heart of it all, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. There is a drawing not just to a handout from Jesus, but to Jesus himself. Not just to this or that good that he'll provide, but to the Lord himself is the way, the truth, and life. Uh, The the one who invites us to, to, to have intimacy with him, but then to join him in all that he's doing by his Holy Spirit in this world, to live life with him. And then we need to see, as Jesus has already said in verses 23, 24, and 25, Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it. There has to be, there has to be, and it happens in the cross a dying to the old and a rising to the new. Uh, It's what Jesus himself does for us, but it's also what happens in us. We we can't just get a, a, a fix of the lives that we try to manage. There has to be a death to the old and a rising to the new that comes with Jesus as we look to him. And then, then finally, let me mention what Jesus then culminates this conversation in verse 36 by saying, put your trust in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And the light is him. The light is not just some truth about him. It's him. And it's not just knowing about him. It's, in, it's trusting, entrusting ourselves to him. And again, not just for the sake of a bit of knowledge about him, but to actually become part of him, to become children of light in this dark world. If, if, if we don't see that, we're, we're, we're missing the real Jesus and the full life he wants to give. And I have that life by the mercy and grace of God. I've placed my faith in Jesus. I know this, but i got to be honest with you. There are ways, there are times when I live like a practical atheist. You know what that is? A practical atheist is one who, I'll use myself as an example, I believe in God. I don't have any doubt that he exists. I believe that Jesus is Lord. But if I'm really honest, there are times when I live as if there was not a God. As if Jesus was not with me and not Lord. Now, he he never abandons me. He's with me. He's not going to kick me out. But there are times when I forget him, ignore him, and do life on my own. And again and again, I need to see how I'm kind of missing what's going on here. I need to look to Jesus and realize, for example, that if I'm dealing with problems, and yeah, some, some, yeah, I can kind of manage, but if I, my deepest problem is not this or that 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 takes a little bit of technique for a quick fix. My deepest problem is my sin. My separation from this God. I need to see that my greatest enemy is not this or that. It's not that group or that person. It's not such and such a political party or whatever. As Paul says, our struggle is not against human flesh and blood. It's against, it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the enemy. That's where the battle is ultimately. Instead of the assumptions we make of something different from that. And my ultimate need, I need to be reminded again and again, and God does this out of his mercy and grace, is, is Jesus. It's God. As a human being, I was made for him. There's no life apart from the life giver. And I need to realize my ultimate need is is God and not just assume that that, God's there to kind of improve my little life that I somehow manage. See, these are the reasons that Palm Sunday crowd in Jerusalem were so excited and expectant, but it's the reason why Jesus wasn't excited. He knew that they did not get it. And so you read Luke's version of Palm Sunday, and after this big parade, happy days are here again, Jesus goes up the mountain, the Mount of Olives, to look down on the city of Jerusalem. And what does he do? Remember? He weeps. He weeps over what God longs to give them, but they won't accept. And that'll get really clear in a few days on that dark Friday. Friends, don't you think that Jesus still weeps over this world? Mm -hmm. Over all the ways that all of us fall short of the peace and joy the Father intended. He weeps over the violence and loss of, like we saw in Boulder this last week. He weeps over broken hearts and minds and bodies, broken homes, broken friendships, over creature he loved, the creatures he loves but push him away. He weeps over those who have false hopes and therefore no hope. Yeah, the hyped up Jerusalem crowds and those outsider Greeks wanting to see Jesus, they they really didn't get who he really was. But i tell you what they did have. They had a longing. They they had a deep longing that all human beings have. The Apostle Paul says that all creation has a groaning. And all of us have a groaning. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. I mean, you, you could agree with that, right? In this world. And there's a deep longing, a groaning. Uh, for some way, some kind of truth into some kind of a better life. Every human being has some version of that. And a dramatic picture, I want to go to one more scripture this morning and then, and then close. A dramatic picture of all those human longings and those deep groans for hope comes in a vision that God gave to the same apostle John who wrote this account in the gospel And the Roman Empire has pushed him into a lonely exile on the island of Patmos. And um, uh, he's writing what God gives him to, especially seven clusters of Christ followers on the mainland of what we now call Turkey. And uh, basically what John gets is a series of visions. Above all visions, not so much of this or that will happen, but visions of Jesus. And that's needed by these Christ followers. Most of them under persecution, but some who are not uh, probably kind of like a lot of American Christians—they're they're they're drifting in complacency. They need these visions of Christ, and and so a central vision that John gets is in chapter five of Revelation. Is he's shown the very throne of heaven, and this is what he sees. I then saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who is worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Let me just pause and say, those are the tears, that is the weeping of the whole human race, and in some ways, every single one of us, uh, weeping that sometimes it seems like the scroll of history has no positive outcome. The stories of our lives are going nowhere. It's sealed shut and no one seems to know where it's going, and no one seems to make any difference in where it's going. And so we weep. But then this broken apostle gets this vision as it goes on. And then one of the elders said to me, these, one of the beings around the throne of, of God, one of the elders said, don't weep. See? See? Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able, and we're talking about Jesus, right? He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then, and this is kind of crazy, the lion suddenly is a lamb. I, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And then heaven explodes with praise They sang a new song saying to the lamb, you are worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and to be priests, to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You don't know where your life's going exactly. But the scroll of your life and the scroll of history is held is held by Jesus the Christ, the King of all kings, who loves you and anyone and everyone more than you can possibly imagine. And ultimately, and here's what the book of Revelation is finally about, he wins. He wins. And we, with him, We're going to close with a song that's in part based on this vision of given to John. And it raises some uh, pretty basic human questions that I think we all could express from the heart. And, um, you know, Chris, I, I think we'll, we'll lead. And, and if we could put it up there for just a moment, uh, we have some of the words in, yeah, some of the words in white, and Chris will lead us in that. But then the rest of us can join Tiffany in echoing some answers, not echoing, but responding in the yellow print. And uh, you may not, this may be a new song, but just, would, would, would you allow it? And, and I'll just pray, Lord, uh, let, the, let this be, more than just a song, it's a powerful one, but would, would this be a vision to us? of our own hearts longing and groaning for the help and hope we need and, but then to have a vision, a fresh vision of you as the final and only hope and help there is freely given to each of us and all of us.
1: Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deep? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made? Creation rolling, it is. There's a new creation coming, it is. Is the Spirit new and He does. And is Jesus our Messiah forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Hold. Is anyone able to break the seals And open the scroll The lion of Judah Who conquered the grave In his name The lamb who died To ransom the slaves From every people and tribe Every nation and tongue he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to so reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy?
0: All praise be to you for living Lord Jesus Christ and with you to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. We praise you that you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, Lord, you are the bread of life. You are, uh, Lord, our rock on which we can stand. Uh, We we, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you held nothing back to do what somehow it took for us to be reconciled to the Father and to begin a whole new life in your resurrection in the new creation. And and God, I do ask for myself and for each of us and for this church family and and your your body throughout this world that, that, Lord, we could bear witness to who you really are in the way we live, what we say, and that in this upcoming week of ways that we remember, ways that we celebrate, uh, that uh, this truth of all truths, the gospel would go deeper and deeper into our hearts and lives to be then lived out wider and wider, each of us and all of us together. And we pray this in your holy name for your glory. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm just going to take a few minutes to give you some suggestions for the week. So if you want to sit down, you can. If you want to stand, that's fine too. But uh, let, let me just say that um, there's there's wisdom in having a week like this. I mean, Christ has risen every single day, every single minute of every single day, right? But but there's wisdom in setting aside times where we we put our, our total focus on Him for the sake of every day, every minute. And so we have this unique week uh, where we approach... Um, the, the memory, the celebration of the resurrection and before that, Christ's death on the cross on Good Friday. And a, a few things. Encourage you to, to grab, if you, I think you were handed one as you went in, came in, this, this little um, guide called A Week with Jesus. And it's really two things. One is a guide that will very simply walk you through the story of Jesus going to the cross and then, of course, the resurrection. And so there's a chapter or so you could read, ponder, and pray through each day starting tomorrow through next Sunday. And then please, please, would you um, take the time to, to be praying for the ways that we bear witness to the risen Christ, especially next Sunday. That it wouldn't just be a holiday, but be a, a, a time when through our gathering, uh, Christ reveals himself uh, to especially people who as yet do not know him. And, and we very well could have people uh, with us who have that need and so this just guides you into some particular prayers and, and then just some uh, suggestions for some hospitality next Sunday as we gather at uh, nine o'clock or 1030 for Easter uh, our Easter re- resurrection celebration and uh, for that uh, on your seat there's some invitation cards that uh, and we have plenty in the back you could take a hundred or well I don't know if we have that many but take some and and uh, pass along to some neighbors and, and friends and just invite them to join you. Notice there's a special time for the kids between the services. And, and, and then uh, about a dozen of you have responded to our invitation to tell your mini story. I wanna do this during the service to share some stories of before and after Christ. And so about a dozen of you have, have shared some brief snapshots of that. And it's, it's been so encouraging. I just want next week to be not just, say, teaching, but to be uh, tangible stories of testimonies of what God has done through Christ. And so uh, we have about a dozen. But if any of you would like to add your stories, you can do that on the connection card in front of you. You can do it through an email to somebody on the staff. You can do it on the little survey we've sent out a couple of times. Just kind of a before Christ, a sentence or so, or more. And then here's the difference that he has made. I just want to send you out with a one more peek at a vision that the apostle John is given by God. So why don't you stand now? From Revelation chapter seven. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This crowd, though, and if you know Jesus, you'll be part of it, this crowd knows who he is. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they're given this promise and you're given this promise. I'm given this promise. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be your shepherd. He will lead you to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is that good news or what? Go in that promise Go in his presence, in his peace. Amen. thought you're your head.